Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed. I'm Ken Napsok. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw, and this is one of our news and cues episodes. We have some cues I'm very excited about, Ken, as well as some, uh, some Kenobi news. So I'm always excited for that. 
Yes, and some at the time of the recording, we had uh, we all, everyone knows we record on Monday, and then sometimes news comes out on Tuesday. We'll probably miss some. There's some stuff coming with the old Republic. We'll get to that next week. But there was some book news that hit right before we pressed record, and we'll finally get to talk about it again in time. But before we do all that, before we talk about honeymoons and Ewoks, we <laughs> can let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And a little bit later, our Force Center recommends will come your way, an audiobook we think you should try out on us. And, of course, that is not all. No, first we want to advertise our new book of poetry called Honeymoons and Ewoks. I think everybody's <laughs> going to really get a lot out of it. Yes. <laughs> Just spend Valentine's Day. Uh, I kid. I kid. We have another offer from Inside Editions. They are a publisher of a ton of great Star Wars books as well as other pop culture books. They are offering 35% off across their website if you use this special link, insideeditions.com slash discount slash FC35. This week, we are continuing to recommend the Inside Editions book, Jedi Artifacts. It's a book, and yet it is also a collection of artifacts from the Jedi. Very accurately titled. Very, very fun, cool book. So if you are interested, use this link, insideditions.com slash discount slash FC35. Absolutely. Use it indeed and help the show and help yourself. It's a a mutual agreement there. Mutual, uh, positively affecting agreement there. (laughs) All right. Uh, Speaking of positive things, Star Wars Life and Star Wars Life Adventures. Joseph, uh, where did Star Wars meet your real life this past week? This was just a, a wild week, Ken. Uh, this, sometimes, you know, I'm going around life and I feel like Star Wars is in my life a lot, but it's all stuff that's really for the podcast. I, you know, watch this, read this, prepped this, thought about this, uh, you know. Mm. Um, and sometimes like, oh, I have this, this little Star Wars adventure. This was a big week for Star Wars for me, like literally physically big, uh, because two things came to my home, Ken. The first... <laughs> was that uh, Tashin book that I got on discount, the 99 to 2005 Star Wars archives. Right. And you, listeners got to hear my ignorance right here on air. You told me multiple times it was big. <laughs> I did not fully comprehend. I did not read how many pounds it was for this, <laughs> this huge box game. And I, you know, I pulled it in and like, I, I, my wife couldn't see quite the dimensions of it. She just saw part of it. And she's like, oh, did the Razor Crest come? And I was like, no, actually, um, this is a book. This whole thing is a book. Uh, it's a, and I, yeah, the beautiful red sparkling cover, uh, mm. opened it and flipped through it. And yeah, that was great. And then, mm. uh, then the Razor Crest did come finally, uh, the HasLab, Hasbro send away, uh, the super ironic Razor Crest where they, uh, I think I, I I think the campaign closed, and I think I you know signed up to get one right before the Razor Crest blew up on the Mandalorian, and now here it arrives, just as Din and Grogu are all settled into their new N one Starfighter hot rod. <laughs> it's I, in a way great marketing. They couldn't have planned it better. Yeah, sometimes when people say like Star Wars is all about the toys, like. If it was, I don't know this would happen exactly in this sequence. Uh, but that box is just enormous. Uh, it's just endless page. Uh, and I actually had both of them, both the Tashin book and the Razor Crest, in these massive boxes. Uh, and it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, that's that's it for our living room. Uh, wonderful wife, Sarah, that's, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, took up the rest of the remaining space in our home for the most part, but open the attachment book, going to find a place for it. Uh, as we record, the Razor Crest is still in its big uh, beige shipping box. Um, I was lucky to have a really 
a busy weekend, uh, hung out with some uh, wonderful friends and played video games and talked about Star Wars. It was great um, with some friends. And then I wanted to watch the Super Bowl uh, yesterday. Uh, so I really wanted to have a be a, I don't know, like a ceremony. I don't know. I'm going to light yeah. some candles and put on some music. Like it's not just any old day of the week. I want to, <laughs> I want to take my sweet time opening uh, the, the Razor Crest and, and studying yeah. it and, and all of its details and nuance. So I'm sure I'll report on that uh, next week because sometime this week I'm going to set aside like, I don't know, four hours for a slow <laughs> tantric opening of the Razor Crest <laughs> Light some candles indeed. I love this that two items that are going to force you to redesign your, your living uh, situation. <laughs> like that is the, each, each in their own. Like I, I had to uh, move some stuff. And I uh, have a uh, fortune have both of the, the, the Star Wars archives books. And it's like, they, it's now a table. That's they get a table in the house. Now um, nothing else can really go on them. And, and now you have two decisions to make. You have big <laughs> decisions to make. I really, I mean, I, when I, both of them were just in the boxes, just huge. Yeah. I was just like, uh, we have to give our notice on this apartment. Like, I know we love it, but <laughs> I, I don't know what we're going to do. We got to go. Uh, but uh, We will find a way. We will find a way. So those are my big Star Wars adventures and more to come about that uh, great uh, Razor yeah. Crest that I'm so excited to have. Uh, Ken, I'm yeah. very curious about your adventures. You know, uh, mine was uh, a lot of wonderful work this week, doing some stuff uh, over uh, at the Schmodown again. If you're a Schmodown fan, I'll, I'll be doing some stuff this season. And uh, as I do, uh, what is it, season nine now? I can't, I can't believe wow. it's gone, gone on that long. Um, so it's kind of a new setup. I can't give away too much stuff. But I was hanging out with uh, some folks. Ran into uh, Adam Witt, who's been on this show before. Adam Witt for the movie guys. And he and I, you know, just we love talking Star Wars um, because we're grumpy positive. Like we love it so much and we're grumpy <laughs> at those who just aren't there for the journey. It's your own journey. Do what you want to do. But, uh, you know, we're doing this over here. Either you're on board or not. And he said something that was just, we were talking about the prequel generation. This has been on my mind for a little bit. I might do a spotlight Star Wars over this kind of thing. It's just, it's um, this idea of the prequel generation. I think we owe a lot to because uh, uh, we're still talking about Star Wars in a lot of way because it's that generation that embraced it when it was um, for them at the time mm -hmm. uh, that it was uh, introduced to them. And Adam said this line, he goes, yeah, man, look, the first chance our generation got, they destroyed Star Wars or tried to. Like the first chance, 99, but even can even say 97, they tried to stamp out the flame. <laughs> like, you know, not everyone. It's a general statement. Uh, Joseph and I are certainly not in that. But even then, uh, me coming out screaming about the prequels in 99 more than I, I even probably wanted to. Uh, and I just, it, was, it just made me laugh. Uh, and it just made me, um, you know, uh, want to dive deeper into the prequel generation that said, no, no, no. This is this is my Star Wars. This is my Star Wars. And it's going to even come up again in our discussion in the news with some stuff Ian McGregor was saying. So, anyways, it was just a wonderful, wonderful moment. No, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Yoda's line in Attack of Clones, truly wonderful is the mind of a child, which uh, does not mean think simply. It does not mean don't think analytically. I think what it is is uh, let go of some of your baggage, you know? I think that's so much what... Uh, you know, I, that's, I think that's why a lot of kids uh, love the prequels. I think I was actually talking to uh, my friends that my yeah. wife and I were hanging out with this weekend about like, uh, you, you know, growing up it, with Anakin and seeing Anakin. I mean, I, I, the, the power of being a young woman and going, this 14 year old is telling all of these, you know, middle aged mm -hmm. men with power what to do. My God, how could you not relate to yeah. that? Right. But there's just the power of this, like, I, I have no other baggage. I'm just here for the ride. Uh, mm. Does it make me happy? I don't check if it's okay that it made me happy. It just does, right? Yeah. 
Uh, and I think that, you know, uh, we, we are obviously not children, <laughs> uh, no. sadly, uh, for, for us maybe. Um, but I think that's, that's a part of maybe what, what the, what the tension is for, for me right now in our Star Wars discussions is, uh, we are obviously extremely analytical and open, uh, to mm-hmm. criticism, but I also just want to be open to listening to whatever my heart tells me. Like, did you enjoy that? Yeah. Okay. Well then there's probably a reason why. Yeah. 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 And it's big and it's big. And and if it's, uh, you know, Boba Fett riding a Rancor or, uh, you know, something else, big, small, otherwise, uh, I, we love connecting with that. That's why we're here every week. Uh, makes a lot of fun. Anyway, so it was a fun moment. Uh, it's all often dangerous to discuss Star Wars out in the wild. You know, you never know who's <laughs> going to jump into the room with their opinion. And there were some bad takes in, in there as well. But that's there. The other thing I wanted to point this out. Um, this happened as I was uh, going over some notes and having some breakfast this morning before we recorded it. And uh, I am a Letterman fan. I know Dave Letterman isn't necessarily for everyone there, but I, I grew up uh, loving Dave and influenced by Dave in a lot of ways in terms of comedy. And uh, and now apparently beard growth, but um, <laughs> he, he released a YouTube, he's got the YouTube channel, which all a bunch of old Letterman clips and behind the scenes stuff and everything. And it's, it, it, if that's for you, it's a rabbit hole you can fall into. But this morning, uh, one that popped up, not by plan, uh, Joseph, was uh, old Harrison Ford interview from 82. 82. Uh, from 82, from the old show. This is where Dave was definitely uh, less comfortable or interested in interviews, which was a period of his life, a uh, long period. Um, but also Harrison Ford, not comfortable, less interested in interviews. <laughs> so it made for a wonderfully awkward, not tense and tension filled. Like both were having fun and Harrison's, you know, you, I think he gets recognized or gets credit for being funny, funnier now than, than, than he was then. But I think it's the same. You know what I mean? Like he's always been the funny guy, but he was movie star Harrison for so long. He still is, but you know what I mean? Like now people he's in on the joke on talk shows when I think we all weren't in on the joke before. And mm-hmm. he's really funny throughout. Um, Anyways, it was to promote Blade Runner, which is crazy to think. Like the movie wow. hadn't come out yet, uh, but there's a great lad. He was talking. Dave says, "You know what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you feel when you you know you see your face on on like an Indiana Jones thermos or something like that?" And uh, Harrison just goes, "I have no connection to it." Because <laughs> I, you know, they don't mention Han Solo by name. He goes, "Yeah, when I see all that stuff, uh, it's not me and has nothing to do with me." <laughs> and it just made me laugh because it's like. It's always been there. And even though he loves Star Wars, I love that Empire Dreams moment. Like, oh, what do I feel about Star Wars success? Clap my hands and rub them together. I can get really get my career going. Like, he's, you know, and then he comes back to it in 2015. I think that's why I, I still go back to Force Awakens and go, I still am so overjoyed that Harrison came back and came back with the way that he did. Because um, you can even see by, by this interview at 82, he's got that kind of like, yeah, I guess we're going to do one more type of vibe. He doesn't say that, but he just got that. Yeah. 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 I love George. I did the space thing. Now I'm doing other things. Um, It was just fat. It was a fun little moment in time. I recommend checking it out. That's so great. And I also think like, yeah, I mean, Harrison's uh, the, the level of, uh, of comedy charm grump. That is the magic that's Harrison Ford. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> even all of his, his, uh, you know, great characters have that level of charm and grump. Indiana Jones is doing that cause he has to, but it's, yeah. you know, it seems like he'd rather be at home reading a book and preparing his syllabus, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that is kind of uh, the charm that he brings to his characters, but also there's just like a really healthy perspective for him as an actor. Like, I played a character. I'm not yeah. Han Solo. You know, that's, yeah. you don't have an action figure of Harrison Ford. You have an action figure of Han Solo. That's not my, you know, uh, freakish <laughs> head in that original <laughs> Han Solo action figure from Kenner. That's <laughs> Han Solo. I, I yeah. love that perspective. 
Yeah, so good. Such a classic, uh, you know, and he looks like Temple of Doom Harrison, right? His hair, Indiana Jones. It's that era. Like, he's probably filming that. <laughs> What's yeah. going on? It's just fascinating. I also just love, and then we, we can move on from Harrison Ford uh, Center if you want. But I, the other thing I wanted to say is I do love that Harrison Ford isn't just too school for cool, uh, too cool for school. Mm-hmm. He's a nerd about acting and yeah. process and story. Like he doesn't care about space stuff, right? Yeah. But he is in it. That's why there is that great moment in Empire Dreams. He's like, great, now I can get to work. And yeah. my favorite Harrison Ford, you know, thing is that he saw Solo twice. He saw a, a Star Wars movie twice because he's yeah. a nerd about acting and story and he was connecting to that love it yeah love it he's a treasure indeed he's a treasure indeed so check it all out there all right well from uh the grumpy charm of harrison ford we're gonna go to uh the charm of star wars news is that a transition it is and it counts uh late breaking news breaking news as of a recording time yesterday we've got a new star wars book on the way and oh joseph has it inspired some opinions Save the date for the wedding of Princess Leia and Han Solo in The Princess and the Scoundrel coming August 16th, 2022. Beth Revis, who wrote one of my favorite Star Wars books, and I know you love it too, Joseph. Rebel Rising is uh, the author behind this book here. She gave you a great little interview with uh, StarWars.com, talking about some stuff there. So, Joseph, just we'll dive in. We, We didn't even have time to prepare these notes. Overall thoughts, and then we're going to dive into the controversy. Uh, I guess I should highlight. <laughs> now, hold on, hold on. Yeah, we're so this is right after the Battle of Endor. Han's like, "Hey, let's get married." They get married. There's a ceremony, and then they go for a honeymoon on the Halcyon uh, spaceship, the space cruiser, which is, of course, in our real life, the Star Wars resort that you can go stay at. So that again is. Cause some opinions to come bursting out of the internet. Joseph, overall thoughts on this book and this idea, then we'll dive into the details. Uh, I I was thrilled to see this this morning because it was a fun thing to announce on uh, actual Valentine's Day. August 16th is the day before my birthday. So look, I already got a great birthday gift from the galaxy. Uh, my I was excited to see uh, that they are going in a book to just, you know, uh, really dive into this moment, this choice. It's a fascinating, important moment in Mm. uh, two of the largest characters of Star Wars. So I'm really happy that with these original trilogy characters, they are kind of, or or big trilogy characters uh, of any of the trilogies, willing to tell these kind of big moments that some of the other books have kind of talked around, alluded to. Uh, But honestly, my biggest reaction was Beth Revis. Uh, I Mm -hmm. absolutely adore Rebel Rising. Um, I can't remember if you and I read it at the same time. I remember enthusing about it to you and, and discussing how we had to talk about it on Force Center. Uh, I, I, when I read that book, <laughs> yeah. I, I already liked Rogue One, but it made me super love Rogue One. I think the way the book is written, the insight to Jin, it does some different things from Star Wars. It's just one of my very favorites. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if uh, if I or we succeeded, but I wanted to be a cheerleader of that book that got more people to read it. Cause it's not one that I feel like uh, fans of the books talk about as much. And it is one of my absolute favorites. So honestly, just that author coming back uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and doing another full star Wars book is a huge part of my excitement. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to um, start the discussion there. Her, her previous work um, in star Wars. And, and I know she's done a lot of other things, of course, but her, just her, her, her previous work is just puts me in a spot of, 
it's a trust tree. <laughs> I'm in Beth Revis trust tree that uh, this big story, it's big. This is big candid stuff here. Uh, a lot of people making their courtship of Princess Leia jokes. Uh, it's even in the article, uh, so to speak. But uh, mm-hmm. um, I, I, it's big, and I think she's going to bring some great insight to it. And I love this one little um, note here in the interview. Um, just talking about weddings, but not about weddings, uh, about ceremony and and everything about that because getting married isn't uh, for everyone and, and unfortunately some can't uh, uh, and, and that's something that's continued uh, discussion to have in real life but so I'm not putting the emph- emphasis on the weddings but ceremony and she describes um, the importance of, of uh, a ceremony as a component of culture but also a wedding is like a bright star in a person's life a fixed point of light uh, and that's true for Han and Leia as well and and she had addressed earlier in the interview you know, where they are and the ups and downs and the realistic nature. And, you know, I've always said I'm kind of obsessed with this idea that, idea that Force Awakens pops up and they're separated. Uh, the great love story of the galaxy and and, it's, and it seems to be in a different spot and where it ends up. And I just think it's very realistic and I love it. But I love that uh, the, her view on that and how this book's going to be this whenever whenever they get in trouble or wherever they have uh, strain or tension in their relationship and, and all the bad things they're going to be dealing with, they can go back to what we're about to read and it can be a fixed point of light for them. I, I really was uh, moved by that. In a way. Yeah. I, I love that what she, what she says about it. I'm trying to find it here in the interview. Uh, she talks about, you know, it's not just a happily ever after uh, and this mm. is uh, her words now. Instead, they have to work for decades to remain in love and they consistently choose to make that happen. Even if they're apart, they're still in love not because of fate, but because they choose to be. That's a really, really beautiful version of their relationship. I think that they are, you know, what, what's so great about the romance in the original trilogy is they are the kind of the star-crossed lovers, the princess and the scoundrel. It's there in the title, mm-hmm. and they both know that this person opens up these other uh, parts of me that I kind of try to wall off, uh, yeah. but I'm going to choose to let myself be open. And in order for this relationship to work, I have to constantly be kind of opening this part of myself that I mostly try to keep the door shut on, but I can't <laughs> with this person, you know, in yeah. uh, it, that idea of love, of marriage, of partnership being a constant choice uh, to work at it is, mm. I think, really beautiful. And true, uh, really is. Um, so uh, I, let's just uh, go right to the uh, the big thing here, Joseph. The newlyweds depart for a honeymoon aboard the Halcyon Star Cruiser, the luxury vessel at the heart of the new Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser experience at Disney World Resort. Um, a lot of people just plain uh, upset, not happy with that. I'm seeing a lot of uh, cynicism and anger about that on uh, on Twitter and some jokes and, and whatnot. And I'll start by saying this, Joseph. I, I certainly understand it. It, it. it definitely seems like it's all part of a big marketing machine. Um, so I, you know, I'll kick it back to you here. I understand that, but we're about to discuss it. Yeah. I mean, I think for me at the, we, we can track through the entire history of star Wars, the, the famous story of Lucas hanging onto the merchandising rights and the, the action figures, you know, exploding and, and, you know, a constant debate about if decisions are made behind the scenes uh, for creative reasons or for marketing reasons, you know, were the porgs really put there for what Ryan Johnson said, or, you know, was a, with a team of accountants saying, make a cute thing, you know, Uh, those debates are always going to be there because just the truth of star Wars is, yeah, it's an, it's an epic mythic saga uh, about all these deep themes and it's not a nonprofit. It's there to make money. Um, that in in as well as tell stories right um yeah yeah and i think for me like i acknowledge that truth that's obviously a truth there's obviously the possibility 
of something that is more driven by marketing creeping in. But mm. at the end of the day, the question for me every time is, does the story have weight and power? And if this book works, which I really think it's going to, because I have such admiration and respect for this author and mm. for all of the editorial team who has been creating all these great books I like, I think when you read this book, it's not going to matter. It's going to yeah. be the story of their honeymoon. They're going to be going on a star cruiser. Mm. And I don't think it's going to be a cheap ad because I just don't think Star Wars, in my opinion, has done that. And I understand other people disagree and they feel the marketing in certain choices. I consistently feel the story. I never feel like the characters are looking out to the camera and going, this doesn't have anything to do with the story, but buy this. Yeah. I, every Everything that has become a a you know marketing monster like uh, from the Ewoks to Porgs to Grogu if, if you, there never ever ever been a toy of it or a cruise of it <laughs> mm, mm. it works in the story and for me that's the line now if this book comes out and it feels like really empty and it just feels like Han and Leia are jumping off the page going buy your tickets now yeah. like I, I'll reconsider that but I, I don't expect that because of the history uh, of these books yeah, no, well said, well said. And, and a lot of people are uh, online as well are fighting it back uh, against this uh, cynical line of thinking um, with uh, the example of the Black Spire book, Delilah S. Dawson's book. And I am in that group where that book showed up in, in my mailbox and I was like, all right, yeah, all right, here we go, right? And there was also some comic stuff with Doc Ondor and that ended up being pretty fun, but it, it, it was good, but um comic is obviously different than, than a novel and i think a lot of people pointed out that book and what delilah S. dawson did with it which included that chapter of vimerati walking around getting a tour of galaxy's edge <laughs> including yep. where here's the bathrooms uh, there there's uh, the, the food uh, here's what you i mean at the end of the day that that's a great book and i know i know some folks who were like aren't you know podcasting every week about star wars who were like yeah i read that book uh, it was great that's one of my favorite ones oh i love vimerati love our checks i love everything in there uh, and it's like, they're not worried about it. And, and, and I think it goes along with the nostalgia conversation that we often have around here where yes, nostalgia pops up and we can talk about the big, you know, nostalgia is baked into star Wars and all those things we always come back to. But at the end of the day, if, if, if Dr. Evanson and, and Ponda Baba show up and it's a small little fun cameo and doesn't dominate the story and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's off in its corner. That's not the same as them using the N1 starfighter to thematically, uh, you know, connect to the bigger, uh, you know, point of the book of Boba Fett. And I think you and I always say, just take every, everything on a case by case basis and see how it affects the story and give it that shot. And, and I do trust that uh, given this task, which was a task, and I think that's the thing too, Joe. A lot of people you can point at it and go, "This is tied it marketing tying into the, the to the resort." Yes, it is, but that means the creators uh, and and the people banned the books there. They, they they were given this task by someone in a, in an office. What are they going to do with that task? Is how uh, I'll judge this at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think the same thing uh, for me, and and I think it's easy for a view to become about you know, this big corporation, Disney's trying to make more money. And like, that's not a revelation. Of course they are. We can listen to some of the, you know, investor calls. Yes, they are. 
Um, but when you, for me, when you break it down, you know, I've been lucky to know people who have been involved with, uh, you know, working at Galaxy's Edge uh, or coming up with some of those ideas. And, you know, knowing, I don't know uh, Beth Revis, uh, you know, uh, or any of the other authors uh, personally, um, but they're people trying to tell the best story that they can. And I feel like it, it can be, for me, I get frustrated because it's easy to just go, well, Disney did. Like, well, at the end of the day, you know, Disney is a bunch of humans and there are yeah. writers and actors who truly believe in these stories and are trying to tell really good ones because they care. And I just never want to lose sight of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can go all the stuff with George, but like they, they needed that, that first one, you know, there was no chance of a second if that first one didn't make money, which is the situation we're all still in, right? Um, so I don't hold that against anyone, but also it's how you do it. And a lot of the things, the big IPs and stuff that um, don't work or, or fall flat for me do have those moments of uh, I'm not connecting to it emotionally. You know, I grew up a huge Transformers fan. I didn't, I didn't love the Transformer movies and this and that and, and not saying anything if you're a fan. I'm not, I'm not attacking them at all. I just... It, it didn't connect to my heart as much as Star Wars continues to do. So I want to continue to give it that uh, that trust and that room to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'll agree with you. I think Black Spire is great. Uh, we, we gave it to uh, our niece as a gift, and she loved it. And, yeah, there's a chapter where mm-hmm. <laughs> the character takes a tour. It works in the book. It's a little, you, you know, it's almost it's funny to be like, okay, yeah, no, this is this is a tour. They're going over the menu, but <laughs> it works in the book, and I think this one's going to work in the book as well. Yeah, so we'll see again. The book uh, will be uh, in all of our hands this August, uh, August sixteenth, two thousand twenty-two. The Princess and the Scoundrel, which sounds like a it sounds like a great Disney movie, quite frankly. <laughs> From there, we are going to look ahead to the Ahsoka series with some cast news. I always want to give you the chance to duck out if you just don't want to know anything about who's in the show, who they might be playing. I understand that um, as well. Uh, I'm sometimes in that spot, even doing a Star Wars podcast all these years. Sometimes I'm like, I just don't want to click on this story. So (laughs) if that's you, we understand duck out for a few minutes here. But for those that are sticking around, The Hollywood Reporter ran an exclusive this week that Ray Stevenson will be joining the cast of the limited series Ahsoka, which uh, I do believe starts filming in April. Nothing official from Lucasfilm, of course, uh, but Hollywood Reporter is uh, standing behind it here. The Vikings, an MCU actor, uh, among many other things, also voiced Gar Saxon in The Clone Wars and Rebels. But uh, potential series spoiler, Stevenson is said to be playing a villainous admiral in the series, but not that one. Allegedly, who knows? Maybe he is that one, and they just uh, want to, you know, Hollywood Reporter wants to keep uh, keep the cover as best they can. So, Joseph, what are our thoughts on uh, Ray Stevenson, a villainous admiral, and more? What do you think? Oh, this is fun. This is really I- intriguing. You know, I know him from Gar Saxon, and then he played the character of Volstagg in the, some of the Thor films in the MCU. And uh, apparently, I looked on his IMDb, I saw him in Dexter. I don't remember his uh, <laughs> performance in Dexter. Oh, I apologize right. to uh, to Ray Stevenson fans across the world that I don't remember his role. But uh, according to IMDb, he was in uh, uh, one of the later seasons uh, of the show. Right. That's right. Uh, yeah. So, and, uh, in, anyway, so he... Obviously, resume looks like a, a great actor. Um, I think uh, his I love his voice as Gar Saxon. And from uh, what I remember from my last rewatch of those Thor films, uh, there's a ton of of charm 
in the the role of uh, Volstag there. So the idea of like a great actor with some uh, presence, some gravitas, some charm and ability to handle comedy, eh, that that makes me interested in, you know, if he is playing a villainous admiral as being as reported, a lot of times we on screen in particular have met the admirals and the villains who are kind of uptight, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's intriguing to be like, uh, this is an Imperial remnant, uh, you know, beginnings of the First Order, uh, an admiral who is dangerously charming. That's intriguing to me. Yeah, that's a great way to look at that too. Um, and uh, I went to Imperial Remnant as well, if you're looking for just uh, straight up kind of predictions and speculation. Um, but I, I thought, you know, there's other chiss out there. This we know. Timothy Zahn will let you know mm-hmm. about that. So who who knows who else is looking for Thrawn, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, a, a villain is, yeah, he, he is going to play a, a Blue Admiral, but not that one. <laughs> a different one. Blue Admiral. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Maybe maybe he's a vil- villainous admiral in the New Republic army or something. Maybe maybe he wants more war. Who knows? And then it could go anywhere. Um, I, I like him. I really do love him as Gar Saxon. A great presence on an uh, uh, off camera when he's in the VO booth there. So uh, I'm just excited on that and, and um, uh, excited again as, as we get so excited for the other series that are coming our way with Book of Boba Fett and Mando season two in our rearview mirror. I just get excited knowing that new Star Wars is being cooked up and filmed and in pre-production things we don't even know about. That just always kind of gets me excited. So it's good to hear this. Yeah. And I think for me, the other big question of it, because we'll just we'll wait and we'll see exactly uh, who he is playing. But with all of the drops that have come of people who are, you know, reported to be uh, cast as characters from Rebels, it's really feeling like, you know, Ahsoka's, a journey into uh, into purgatory, into unknown regions uh, to find Ezra. It makes me really intrigued by how much of this journey with Ahsoka is going to be about her discovering the Imperial remnants morphing into the First Order. Oh, that'd be that'd be interesting as well, too. Ooh, love yeah. that. Yeah, a lot of possibilities. Uh, we'll keep you updated when things become official and more casting rumors become casting truths. All right, final story of the day, and it's some um, Obi Wan talk and Obi Wan McGregor, as I'm calling him, uh, who uh, you know had that Expedia commercial that uh, caused everyone to <gasps> intake and think, "Is this it? Is this it?" Uh, I personally was not. I, I liked the idea of a Kenobi trailer, Super Bowl. I wasn't personally expecting it, so I enjoyed the Expedia commercial there. Were yeah. you full, Joseph? I, I, you know, did, did did you have that moment of, "Oh my gosh, wait, we're getting it." No, not in the slightest, because here I had talked on this very podcast about it would be really interesting if they did uh, a Kenobi commercial in the Super Bowl, because I think they're going to want to try to reach out to um, more casual Star Wars fans uh, to try out Disney Plus with this Obi-Wan show. But I I was remembering back four years ago uh, to that solo trailer and everybody knew it was coming, right? Yeah. Uh, we, you and I watched the Super Bowl together so we could cover the solo trailer. I kind of feel like Kenobi is such a big drop that if it was going to be in the Super Bowl, they would have let us know ahead of time. Yeah, 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 it's fair. No, it's fair. Yeah. And and with Moon, Moon Knight kind of being next up, I think you even pointed that out last week. Just kind of yeah. made sense. And then I was really entertained that it was uh, it was absolutely Ewan McGregor with beard encouraging us to go places. And then he walks onto a, a sandy beach. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying. We're trying, Ewan. We want to go to Tatooine with you. 
Almost there. Uh, but you uh, and McGregor were speaking with Forbes and Jeff Conway over at Forbes, and uh, he had some great thoughts and, 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 and words about the prequel generation and, and what we were talking about earlier. And uh, Deborah Chow was the director of more. So uh, diving into some of it, uh, McGregor talked about his loving his experience playing Kenobi again, particularly doing it for the prequel generation fans. Same. I mean, it's quite interesting after the experience of making the first three films and living through sort of their reception in the world, which wasn't always glowing, I have to say. And then now meeting the generation who we made those films for, the children then and now, people are late teens and early 20s, those people who were kids uh, who, who we made those films for, they loved them. To them, they're their Star Wars films, you know? For us, it was the original films of the 70s. Uh, but for them, it was our films uh, were, were their Star Wars. So to step back for and in, into his shoes again, mean Kenobi, uh, and do a series, a whole series about Obi-Wan Kenobi for those fans, it just makes me really happy. So I really absolutely love this statement here. And I want to dive into this here uh, before we continue with the rest of his quotes here, Joseph. Um, whatever thoughts on, on Ewan, Ewan, by the way, who was in the past, it seemed to express some understanding of the prequel angst, right? Like I, I've, I've seen some things about that and some quotes, so you can maybe even turn into clickbait stuff of, uh, of the blue screens and all the stuff and that whole era. Uh, he's very much of the original trilogy generation like us. So what do you feel about him kind of coming around to this point of view? Uh, I feel great about it. As he says, it just makes me really happy. The only thing I disagree on is I feel like Ewan lost a, a little bit of time there in in his estimation <laughs> of how old prequel fans are these days. Yes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Late teens, early 20s. Uh, I, re- I relate to that a lot of like, oh, wait, I lost a decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, besides that, uh, I'm, I'm just joking about that. Uh, mm. I absolutely love this quote. I think for me it is, it, it's a triumph of acknowledging generational change, right? I think it's it's great that he can receive other people's experiences because that's what this is about. This is about people saying to him, like, I know you've you had your own experience making them. I know you've heard all this negativity for all this time. But I am telling you, Ewan McGregor, <laughs> yeah. that you meant everything to me, that those movies were so important uh, to me. The fact that he can go, oh, cool. That's a really different perspective. But I hear it. I see it. It's totally valid. And maybe in approaching this role, this series, I can internalize someone else's point of view that is mm. largely defined by generational change. Uh, that's amazing. That's great. That's a, an incredibly valuable human skill to mm. say, I acknowledge your perspective and maybe I'm even going to allow it to change my perspective a bit. That's big stuff. Big stuff indeed. And I think that's something that... Um Affected my own Star Wars journey. Uh, we, we've documented it uh, often and, and we'll continue to do that about our, our growth and, and uh, path to becoming prequelists. And uh, you kind of uh, maybe there even before me, that's key to our friendship and me mm-hmm. hearing your side and, and going, you know, that's not just something that um, I'm being convinced by. Um from Joseph, which is, uh, you know, not it's it happens a lot. You, you, you're very good. You're very insightful. And I've talked to some friends who are like, I don't even know if I trust my own opinions. I just hear his and I love him. Um, shout out to you, Billy. Um, but it wasn't just that. It was just like you were saying things and, and bringing things up. Uh, and, and it was connecting to little pockets of joy in my heart, which then allowed me to look at those fans who were telling me on the Jedi Alliance days, time out. You and Mod are making fun little jokes, but that's don't forget that's our Star Wars, mm-hmm. and that's how we got here, and that's how we're why we're watching your little YouTube show. So it, it it is a valuable skill indeed. I think it's important, and and especially in Star Wars, again, our generation, given the chance, tried to destroy it. 
<laughs> try to stamp out the flames of joy in a general sense, of course. So I love um, I love hearing the man in the center of it. And then that that he and, and for Ahmed Best, it was it's a bigger journey yeah. that's important. I hope to God that Jake Lloyd can at some point who, you know, who's going through a lot of and has gone through a lot of things in his life. And I don't know the current update on, on where he is in the situation and battled some mental health stuff, battled some legal problems. Uh, I hope to to God there's a there's a pathway to where Jake Lloyd and Star Wars can can um, can come together again and and uh, I would love that so I I just love hearing uh, someone who is in the center of it who put their heart into it who then had to sit there for decades and hear how horrible it was now you ruined my Star Wars and going hey I just I just did this thing with love <laughs> like I just love <laughs> that he can come back to it and maybe experience a, a new a new round of joy. Uh, yeah, no, I, I so totally agree. And I also think that for me, this is yet another reminder of um, I think it's absolutely wonderful to to interview actors about their experiences. And uh, mm-hmm. I think there's sometimes and I know this from personal experience with working with many actors being one myself. There are actors who really go like, let me take the helicopter view and I'm a I'm going to have a total and complete understanding of this uh, story and I'm going to receive it and talk about it like a fan or a critic. Mm. But more often than not, in my opinion, when you interview actors, they're telling you about their personal experience of the thing, this unique, interesting thing that they went through, right? Mm. Um, And I think almost all of Ewan's comments, uh, maybe there's one out there uh, where he's being a little bit more universal and he's giving his opinion as a viewer of the fan, of the films. Mm -hmm. But I think he's always talking about, it was hard for me with the green screen. I didn't love the process of the green screen. Clearly he loved being in Star Wars, playing with the lightsabers. And, you know, you you can see even in Revenge of the Sith that far in the process, he's having a ton of fun doing the lightsaber choreography with Hayden and their brothers. And like, obviously he, he found lots of joy and love, but when he's, when he's quoted, it's not like I have sat down and I have analyzed the prequel films and this is why they are thematically poor. I am a welcome to (laughs) Ewan McGregor's fireside (laughs) film criticism. He's, talking about his personal experience as an actor mm. being challenged by the green screen. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, Ian McKellen had that problem with the Hobbit films, uh, right? Famously. Great stuff. Great point. No, great point of view uh, to have there, Joseph, there. Uh, Ewan McGregor went on to talk about Deborah Chow and her directing, saying it was a great experience. Deborah Chow directed all the episodes, and she's really good. She directed a couple of episodes of Mandalorian, and she's a really great director. She really knows the Star Wars, Star Wars world inside and out far more than I do, and he laughs. I love that. <laughs> Our own Kenobi's like, I'm not sure I have all the canon down here. Um and we just had a great time. So, so far in live action, uh, Joseph, live action Star Wars, we've had multiple directors, which has been both a joy and at times an area of discussion when fan, fans don't seem to like one particular director's take or vibe, or sometimes we wish we just had one. So now we're going to get it. How are we feeling about Deborah Chow at this point in the Star Wars conversation, being at the helm for every episode after two seasons of Mando and one of Boba Fett with a lot of different names on the screen there? Uh, I'm I'm thrilled and excited for lots of different reasons. Uh, you and I have talked both on air and off air about the loving Mandalorian, loving Book of Boba Fett, but they are um, they're kind of like uh, Star Wars with a specific spice, and I'm excited mm-hmm. to see uh, something that maybe has a it's still absolutely Star Wars, but maybe has a slightly different tone, slightly different perspective, and having one director for the entire thing. I think we're gonna get to know who Deborah Chow is as a as a director and you know what of her own life experience does she bring to the way she seasons 
uh, mm. Star Wars and then having it kind of stay consistently that tone, that flavor. You know, we got to see uh, two episodes of Mandalorian that I think she knocked out of the park. Uh, but I think with six episodes telling this one specific story, I think we're going to get to know her uh, as a director a lot. And I think it's going to be really good to be kind of in that uh, in that mood, that perspective mm-hmm. that a director brings and, and stay there uh, for six episodes. Yeah, I, I'm really curious. We've gotten it from, especially with Boba Fett, from a writing point of view with Favreau kind of sitting in his office, taking the league, not not um, taking the lead, I should say, uh, not a traditional writer's room, which is a different kind of setup, all those kind of things. There's been a lot of discussion about that, good and bad. But I, I at the end of the day, enjoy, much like a movie, hey, what's this one person's take on it? And And for six episodes... Uh, and you're right, her, uh, chapter three, chapter seven of Amanda season one, got some great stuff, some of my favorite stuff in there as well, both action and comedy and heart, all those kind of things were, were on display there. So, um, I, I'm, I'm excited. And the reason I, I really want to discuss that is, uh, is, uh, I, I had kind of forgotten that <laughs> in, in a way. And then when, when this interview comes up, I was like, oh yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. It's, it's all her at the helm. And, and, uh, that got me kind of, uh, more excited for, to see her work on this level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm really excited about uh, seeing her work and seeing that what's it going to be like to have that kind of really tonal consistency? Because, yeah, I think Book of Boba Fett is really uh, unique in that it's the actual story is so mm-hmm. it, Filoni co-wrote one episode. Uh, you know, there's that other kind of on, on set uh, writer who's yeah. credited. Uh, but that's Favreau, you know, that that's he, he wrote that for the majority. Yeah. But then there are some tonal shifts in in the directing. Um, and it'll be interesting to see it not there. I'm also just really curious, Ken, about the overall tone of Kenobi because yeah. I think it's some of the I some of the tension of uh, people who really like Book of Boba Fett, people who struggle with it, people who just really dislike it. I think like wild tonal swings <laughs> from kind of silly comedy to pretty mm-hmm. dark violence to optimism you know to just uh, to really pulpy adventure that's just kind of over the top and bonkers i think those wild tonal swings are very uh star wars they're they're very george lucas like but i'm fascinated that i think in particular kind of some of sillier comedy and more bonkers pulp action or pacing are not always uh what modern audiences are are into and so mm-hmm. sometimes there's some tension with them so it yeah. got me thinking about what the overall tone of Obi-Wan is going to be. And it feels like there's certainly going to be like, I think, some fun comedy, some good Obi-Wan snark, <laughs> snark yeah. you know. But I'm wondering if kind of tone wise, it's going to be fairly serious, fairly weighty. This is these are big deal decisions for Kenobi. Yeah. Seeing facing Vader again, it's probably going to be kind of heavy. I think for the comedy that's going to be there is probably going to be kind of wry and snarky like Obi-Wan. So how much the tone makes a difference in how people receive it is something I'm so excited to watch for. Yeah. Uh, there you go. The tone of Kenobi. What's, what will it be? Well, on the story uh, side, the, the, and the story they'll be telling us, McGregor said this, I always felt there was a story between episode three, where I finished playing Obi-Wan in the movies, and episode four, where Alec Guinness is Obi-Wan Kenobi. The series writers and Deb and I and everyone, I think we crafted, or they crafted a very fine storyline. I think people are going to like it. That is a very dangerous statement to say in Star Wars. <laughs> I think people are going to like them. And of course, I wouldn't necessarily expect them to say, I don't know, I think we missed it. You guys decide. <laughs> Maybe not, not something I'd expect there, but uh, this... This has been brought up, but I, I don't think it's any great insight there. But it's uh, for you and McGregor to come back and finally do this, whether it was the movie or the series. 
I, I think he's someone who doesn't necessarily need to do it. And I think he's going to, if he's going to put his name on, it, he's going to make sure he's going to do it right. And his hands are on it as a, as a, as an executive producer type of um, credit as well. So that just similar to Beth Revis writing a book of Han and Leia's honeymoon on a resort. I, I've given, I've, I've really given uh, him a lot of room uh, uh, with, with trust, like to be like, all right, you're back. And you felt you came back for a reason. That's why I like this statement. I, I believe in it. I, I choose to believe. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, when he was kind of joking about like, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, hey, there's going to be an Inquisitor, maybe. They're, they're, and they're from where? Cool. I don't know yeah. any of that. Uh, what does Obi-Wan care about? You know, wh- how does he feel about him? I think I think Ewan McGregor is such a consummate actor and he like wants to get in there and make sure it all makes sense to him. And I, I think yeah. the fact that he is, you know, trying to be very, uh, uh, very generous <laughs> you yeah. know, when he says, I think we crafted and then says, or they crafted. I think yeah. that's just, that's a gentleman trying to go, well, they wrote it, but yeah. I feel like I also crafted it. Cause I'm there on set going, well, why, how, yeah. what if we, mm, what if he was more a- angry about this? What if he was more yeah. sad? What is he hiding? Like in such an actorly perspective that he feels ownership is great to me. Yeah, that ownership. And then going back to the prequel generation thing, I, this is someone who with some of the stuff he went through and, and far less than, um, at best, who by all accounts had his career uh, destroyed uh, by Jake Lloyd, who who had his uh, all his life destroyed by this. You know, Ewan did, came out okay, right? Did okay. Still one of our biggest actors, most respected actors. Let's be clear about that. But mm-hmm. for him to say, hey, I'm ready to dive back into this, I, I think that, again, is because of the prequel generation. It is because he believes in this story because there's going to be a lot of pressure on that. And and that is that's the final thing I want to discuss here in the news here, Joseph. There's always going to be a lot of pressure on a Star Wars project, every single one of them. Uh, including a tie-in marketing to a resort. A lot of pressure <laughs> on the projects. Um, but why do we think that there's an extra layer of pressure for this one? Is, is it just simply because it's Kenobi? Do we do we think Amando, at least season one, had the advantage because it was a quote-unquote new character and uh, people, you know, just didn't have uh, expectations to uh, a character they hadn't met before? Is that all it? Is that just self-explanatory? I'm asking a question with an easy <laughs> answer here, but I just feel there's definitely pressure on Kenobi. Yeah, I feel like it's from a couple of places. I feel like, uh, and I think you're really nailing them. I think uh, the first season of Mandalorian absolutely had an advantage of, like, this is a kind of a new way into Star Wars. There's a there's plenty to know and find, you know, even more rich if you're super into Star Wars. But, I, you know, so many people told me, like, I, I watched with my entire family. And, you know, we're a family of five and four of them had never watched Star Wars. And they were mm. just all in on Mandalorian. Uh, and I think that there is this hunger for the new in Star Wars. And, and I'm right there too. I really want some new things. And I think there's this pressure. Can people go, just take a deep breath and go, new is coming, you know, uh, we've got the Acolyte. We don't know exactly what Andor is going to be. And and can you just put those, you know, desires aside for a second and engage with this? I think that's a part of the pressure because I think there's going to be a lot of people who are just going to be like, ah, characters we know again, you, you can't do anything without yep. a, a Skywalker in it, Tatooine again. I think those things are going to be a, a, a pressure on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think on the other side, you know, you got the fact that Kenobi is loved by multiple generations, right? Yeah. Even the grumpiest original trilogy fan who could uh, tell you for hours what's wrong with the prequels will always end the diatribe with, but Ewan McGregor was great as Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, like even the people who, who still of our generation do, do not like the prequels. They, yeah. they, they still give two thumbs up to Ewan McGregor, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's a huge amount of Kenobi pressure. And then the final thing for me, Ken, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I think this is like the the uh, a head cannon challenger, right? Mm. Um, this film, this show is going to tie back to uh, Revenge of the Sith and to A New Hope, right? And to mm. to mm. absolutely huge uh, uh, parts of Star Wars storytelling. And if if people have lived for decades with the head cannon that Vader and Kenobi did not meet again until A New Hope. That's a lot to set aside, and I think yeah. in order to engage with this show, you're you're going to have to set that aside. And some people just might not want to. It might just be, this is wrong. It this is yeah. not my headcanon. I don't I don't like it. You know, um, yeah. but if you love the idea that Kenobi might have tried to get through to Vader, it's a feast. And then you're so hungry for that. <laughs> like yeah. I'm on that side of the, of it. Of like I have to uh, you know monitor my expectations. You know, yeah, to make sure I don't go go too hard uh you know because mm-hmm. uh, i'm a i'm an obi-wan once thought as you do great to me that is the log line for this show and i can't wait yeah yeah that that is i think of all the things and you're so right there's gonna there's already the oh good more tattooing and there's a lot of folks who don't want any names that uh, we've heard before any any surnames otherwise in star wars and i and i respect all that and i think we're again you're right i think we're gonna get that i think you're getting that a lot in high republic but i understand that that might be books and comics you want on the screen I, i'm here for for new as well and i think sequel trilogy put a lot of new out there uh but yeah there's a lot of pressure for 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 me spending decades wondering what he was doing out there and and i understand maybe uh letting it go you know why because revenge of the sith which i'd been waiting for a battle on a lava planet for a long time because the novel hinted to that in 83 and to finally get that and i i remember thinking there i don't know this doesn't quite seem even what they're referencing in a new hope (laughs) this doesn't i don't know if it 100 percent lined up in my head for years about the conversation um, uh, that they have in New Hope before they fight for that final time and, and and how I think there was always some room and that conversation in Jedi I think does lend itself to some room. But you're right. If you just don't want to see them fighting again, if you just uh, want completely new stuff, yeah, it's, 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 uh, that's another kind of pressure on the series. Pressure all the way around. But yeah. I, 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 I'm ready for it. I'm so excited. Me too. Me too. And I'm sure we will have this conversation many times. Uh, the the mm. line in uh, in a new hope from Vader: "When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master." I think like that that one line <laughs> mm-hmm. is a challenge for a lot of people. But as uh, as other fans have pointed out, I, I kind of like interpreting that line as "When I left you" uh, is the when I left the Jedi. You know, when I mm-hmm. chose another mm-hmm. path. You know, uh, yep. and I'm sure we will revisit that uh, discussion. But. Uh, I think you're you're so right, Ken, to, to talk about the pressures, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to look at what's coming. And for me, it's just a really good reminder to just be like, let that all go. This is uh, a story and just try to engage with what's on screen. And, you know, if, if my heart tells me I love it, uh, I will let my brain figure out why. That's a great way. A great way to look at it there. Well, we'll all know soon enough, May 25th. Man, you can't get here fast enough. Though, at the same time, time, please stop marching on. Please stop <laughs> marching on. Uh, we are about to take a quick break, but before we do, I want to give you our Four Center Recommends, an audiobook we think you should try out on us. Joseph, what do we got today? We are continuing to recommend The Midnight Horizon by Daniel Jose Older. It is the next High Republic adventure. We're excited to dive into it. We are indeed. Download your free audiobook. Go to audibletrial.com slash center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash center. For your free audio book. Let's do it. Let's take that break. And on the other side, your questions here on Force. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We are back here on Force Center, episode 400 of the big show, the main show, the superstar destroyer of our fleet. We've been standing on this deck for a long time and we're going <laughs> to be here a long while uh, to come. So, uh, Joseph, what are some questions? We've got a Twitter, we've got a Patreon. What do we got? 
Yeah, we go first to Twitter, and this come to us comes to us from Ross Squatch. Uh, Ross Squatch says, "You gents have said that if we wonder if something is truly Star Wars, we should look to George and what he set up. However, his Tuscans are a contradiction to what the Disney Plus shows have shown. Is this character evolution, a retcon, or something else? Love the show. Uh, thank you for those kind words, Ross. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk about this. The Tuscans mm-hmm. are." definitely presented uh if not uh different or a contradiction they're definitely uh presented in a new light on the disney plus shows and uh for you how does that relate to the idea of uh let's look to george is it a contradiction for you or something else um no i I think it's an evolution a quick answer there for ross squatch which uh sounds like a a great gentleman's soap i think it's close (laughs) to some of this soap that's out there Dr. Squatch, not a sponsors out there. Uh, but Ross, I, I, I think uh, I, I look at it as an evolution. And a lot of times to, I guess, clarify uh, a little bit of my mind, sometimes when I say look to George, it, it's really the simple, basic core stuff that you hear George repeat over and over and over again and, and greed, power, uh, how that can bring you down, all of the hope, hope versus fear. All those things are mostly what, what I mean versus uh, details. And I'm not suggesting Ross is interpreting it that way. I think he's right to say, hey, if you think of something, is that Star Wars and you want to go back to to the creator, to the guy at the center of it all? And I think that's a great way to look at it. And that's why I look at Tuscan, uh, the Tuscans of the Dune Sea, both uh, in uh, First Mando and now here in Book of Boba Fett, as just a, an evolution. And I guess to stumble into it, Joseph, of just like George in, in 73 to 76, putting this movie together, was drawing from inspirations from his own childhood and even though George has some pretty strong beliefs about people and people's rights and and helping the poor, and George, I think, has a pretty darn good heart, you're still sometimes a victim of uh, time and context to that time. And, and I think he just was simply looking at something different, uh, Western films, and and just kind of putting that in there. And I think it's a joy to have some of the, you know, Filoni and Favreau to come back and go, all right, well, let's move past that and expand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I really uh, agree with that. And uh, I think this is a great question um, from from Ross Squatch, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, helping us always, uh, you know, make sure that we are you and I are clear on, <laughs> on what we're saying and what we mean. Yeah. And I think for me, when uh, I don't want to speak for you, but I but I suspect we agree. So feel free to correct me. Mm. I think when we say look to George, for me, that is almost always about going back to the underlining uh, underlying philosophy. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, details uh might change or evolve or like in this case i think it is about those films only had the uh the the space and the narrative choice at that time to show this side of the story and now we're seeing the other side of the story you know and that's real different from me of like um you know, well, like like a change Lucas himself made of like, uh, mm. you know, if you saw Star Wars, then A New Hope when you were a kid, eh, yeah, Greedo didn't shoot at all. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't Han shot first. It was Han shot only. Right. And that's like yeah. that's a detail. And you can talk about it as a retcon, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but for me, what's happening with the Tuscans is that it is showing another side of them. Um well, let me stop there. Do you, do you, I have some more thoughts, but I want to ask you if you're coming from the same place, Ken. When you yeah. say look to George, are you thinking more about the, the philosophical meanings and mm-hmm. ideas of the film? Or are you sometimes even thinking about like, th- this is what George uh, thinks um, Aqualish look like, or this is what canon is? Yeah, no, I, I never thought of it in terms of canon. You can make your George hates his own canon jokes here too, if you want. But I, I yeah, I, I've always taken it as uh 
as meaning uh, and, and, and it's sometimes just like four or five big points. That's why I said the hope and fear and all that kind of stuff. And, and a lot of times I feel when you're digging into star Wars, you do kind of come up with the same themes again, well, connection. And Hey, this one's about found family. And it's like, yeah, you, you that, that pops up a lot for a reason. Uh, and it needs to be simple because that's what George wanted a simple morality tale that can reach everyone across many generations and many ages and many point of points of view. I, that's why I, I think I, long story short, I, I do agree with you on that, but a, a little things here and there uh, detail wise. Yeah. I, I can say that some, sometimes what I mean when I say look at George. Okay. Yeah. Uh, th- that makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. And I, I think for me, uh, the Tuscans uh, portrayal in Mandalorian book of Boba Fett is absolutely a celebration of the, of philosophical lessons that I've taken from star Wars mm-hmm. um, that I would, you know, attribute to Lucas as the, the primary author of those uh, philosophies that I think have then been uh, carried forward. Absolutely. In it, all the animated shows, all, all the sequel films um, in, in particular uh, the respect for all cultures, everybody matters. Everybody has a perspective to me. It's like, it's taking like the morality, the philosophy of the Ewoks and return of the Jedi in applying that to the Tuscans, like the Ewoks yeah. can be seen as just like, who, they can't matter. The Empire doesn't think they matter. Even at first, Han's like, what? They're just an obstacle. They can't. I and mean, like, uh, but then you you give them respect. Uh, you mm. listen. Uh, same thing with the the Gungan and the Naboo conflict. And I feel like it's it's taking that respect for all cultures, uh, respect for different points of view, uh, in applying it to the Tuscans. I also think there's a huge thing in Star Wars about. Um, uh, having respect for people who can be in harmony with nature, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Star Wars loves its tech. It loves its spaceships, uh, and, and that's all great. But so much about uh, about the Force is about being in in harmony with with nature, mm-hmm. and the fact that, in particular, in in Mandalorian, uh, the the episodes where they're dealing with the crate dragon, and in Book of Boba Fett, we're like these. Everybody else sees the uh, Tatooine as this wasteland but they yeah. know how to be in harmony with this you know natural world we, we had this big discussion about why so much tatooine and, and i really liked what you said here and how that connects to that episode joseph of seeing the other side of the story we now have the chance to do that so tatooine a planet from luke's point of view is a you know rock out there in the middle of nowhere and it's keeping me from my dreams and and that was true for luke and now we get to go back and revisit tatooine being a center of the criminal underworld uh, hell george did that in return of the jedi but now we get to uh, experience it more and and um i really like that and i really like what you're saying about the tuscans too is now we have the opportunity to go back and and um not holding george to the flames over his use of the Tuc- tuscans and, and and new hope he was doing something pretty specific and doing something he was kind of raised on but now we have a chance to like i said see the other side and learn it and they even address address a little bit of that tuscan conversation about you know, some some of uh, the Tuscan tribes survives by killing. That is not us. That is not this tribe. And we get to um, both address a little bit of the tech the clones beat. And then now we get to uh, uh, get a little more time with it now. And I just think that we have that opportunity now. And I think George would be behind that as well, because he, he kind of loved doing that as well when he could, when he did. Yeah, absolutely. To take things that he loved as a kid and sort of reinterpret them and reexamine them. Uh, I really agree with uh, two things you said that that uh, for me, and this is my personal opinion, it is addressing a problem because so much of Star Wars is mm-hmm. about uh, empathy, right? Mm-hmm. And A New Hope, yep, they're, they're just, they fall into some specific um, tropes, 
that are absolutely from from westerns uh in an attack of the clones even though clearly the tuscans must have a perspective right yeah. uh, but there just isn't there isn't room made in the narrative for it and yeah. uh i love that you know right or wrong uh they do have a perspective and the these mandalorian and in book of boba fett have given them more of that perspective and it makes them like many star wars characters in a cycle of violence between different groups of people and mm-hmm. i think that's uh so important to examine uh when we love something as young people and and then kind of make it a part of our own work to examine you know what what are we bringing with us um yeah. Last thing on that, my wife and I uh, recently, I'd seen it when I was a kid, but I didn't watch it in forever, uh, rewatched uh, The Searchers, um, which right, is right. kind of a, a landmark Western because it does offer, uh, there, there's some just some direct new hope that uh, there's a homestead burning that's just like, yeah, that's, that, that's Star Wars. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, but it, but it does get into, uh, in, in it's, in it's a small way for back in the day, yeah. talking about perspectives, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so for, in, in a way it's like Lucas was inspired by the searchers, but he, that, that bringing mm. that perspective of everybody didn't quite, quite happen. And now it mm. has. Now it has. Yeah. Yeah. Pick it up a thread continuing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, super complex issues. Uh, always recommend uh, that people uh, search out uh, the the voices of uh, native and indigenous people uh, on these issues and hear all of those different perspectives as well. And uh, yeah, the final thing for me is really agreeing with you. If you're kind of approaching this from just like fun Star Wars nerdery, that line of there are many Tuscan tribes and some survive by violence, some survive, mm. we survive by hiding. Like if you're, if you're having fun in canon world, well, that that's your answer. There could be dozens more Tuscan tribes with different perspectives that we've never met, you know? Yeah. 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 Great question, Ross. Uh, thank you uh, for asking that one. We move on to our question uh, from Lydia Ostmo. Lydia says, uh, with Grogu facing the choice of the Beskar chainmail, symbolizing the Mandalorian culture way of life and the lightsaber symbolizing the Jedi culture way of life. Is there not the option Tar Vizla chose of being both? Uh, sometimes it takes us a little while to get to questions. So uh, we, we all know <laughs> Grogu made the choice. <laughs> yeah. But I still thought this was a great question, especially since so much of what we're dealing with the, with the Darksaber is all uh, because of Tar Vizsla, right? So, Ken, where do you go with this? I, I First of all, Lydia, this is this is the question of the, of the time right now here. I think uh, I think it's a fair question to ask. And I think under different different circumstances, I, I could see it. Working, but I, I I just look in terms of uh, something you and I keep coming back to is this is myth storytelling, mythic storytelling, and therefore these choices I I really do believe need to be heightened. And there's definitely a world in which you could have a, a real realistic discussion of of well, could you do both? Could could Din just hang out with Grogu for a weekend and everything be fine? And 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 there could and there could be a look at it. And I'm not suggesting that's what Lydia is saying here. I'm just saying I just really think in this particular chance you do need to choose one or the other because it represents just something bigger in, in our own lives and everything like that. And I, I think you could, um, the story of Tar Vizsla, we don't know completely yet. We don't know what sacrifices he made. Uh, we don't know if he never connected to his Mando roots or was the creation of the Darksaber a dangerous attachment that led to things. And, and sure enough, the Mando of, of people at the time felt that was their saber and went and got it. Um, <laughs> so there's th- some things behind it. I just think for what that, that moment in the show what it was talking about is, is um, there, there, you couldn't have your feet in both. You had to make that decision, make that commitment. And Grogu kind of already had, and Luke felt that we've been discussing in other places and will again. So anyways, um, 
I, I'm open to any interpretation of it or any any thoughts of anyone saying he could do both. I just think for this moment, Grogu made the right decision and the decision and had to make a decision. Yeah, I think that's where I come down on it. I think this is such a, a great question and, and, and such a, a good thing to examine. Uh, and for me, it is, it, it's, I understand having a, a strong reaction of like, well, this is kind of a beautiful thing to do is to uh, blend cultures, right? Uh, to take this yeah. this part of my heritage and this part of my heritage. Um, but I think this is, I just so react to this as a beat in Grogu's journey. Um and we know a little bit about Tarvisla, but I love what you're saying that we don't know how that story, uh, we don't know a lot about that story, right? Um, yeah. uh, we don't know if uh, the rest of Mandalore was initially furious <laughs> yeah, yeah. that he left. You know, we don't know that he didn't, um, you know, leave the, the Jedi. We don't know that he didn't strip his armor at some point. I mean, I know we've yeah. seen the cool images of him. Like, we don't know if this ended poorly from the Jedi's perspective, from the Mandalorian's perspective, from Tar Vizsla. So uh, I think that's a huge part of the story um, that I, I really do hope that we will will get someday. Um, but yeah, we, the part of it that we do know is that it, it clearly didn't end well at the point where Mandalorians broke into the Jedi Temple <laughs> and said, that's ours. Uh, yeah. We're going uh, we're, we're yeah. to take the Jedi part of it from it and make it the symbol of our ruler, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so there yeah. was some unsuccessful cultural blending, at least at that moment. Yeah. In fact, I'm even scanning through. Uh, there was a lot going on this morning. I, I should have probably looked this up a little bit more, including the fl- uh, flashback in uh, Trials of the Darksaber. Fascinating story. But yeah, there's there's not a lot that says he, I don't know. It was sometime after his death that a statue was erected and then they went to get the, the blade. But I, I don't know. There's still room in my mind of... Uh, of him going, uh, yeah, I went to uh, Ilum. I got a Kyber. Cur- I'm going to make my own. Well, that's not right. <laughs> Could have been. Who, who knows? Who knows? Or maybe, or maybe it was a great example. And and uh, Rogu can look to him down the line. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that it's fun for me to say, like, okay, well, w- what are the parts of that story that we don't know? Yeah. And uh, for Grogu, I think the thing that I'm really responding to is this was a choice he made in this moment, right? Uh, that he was uh, not focused on on being uh, a Jedi, and, and, and he um, was not in a place right now to give his entire devotion uh, to the Jedi way. Um, I think, you know, from Luke's perspective, that that's, that's a big responsibility. You, you really have to make sure that you've mastered your powers so you're going to help people, not hurt people, so you can... Uh, protect yourself like you you time moves differently for you so if you go into a deep force meditation you might open your eyes and din's going to be 87 you know Um, i think it was really about that moment and i think what's really intriguing to me is uh in theory we'll see what happens with the star wars story but grogu is going to live for a real long time and i don't think that there that this moment means there isn't a possibility where he ever goes oh no i've i've lived this life uh, mm-hmm. with Din and I, I, we've developed our Mandalorian culture of two or I've become a part of you know retaking Mandalore and, mm-hmm. and now that I feel uh, I'm you know older and I feel confident now I'm going to look to the Jedi way and to look to that part of my heritage yeah and I think it's okay to I mean Grogu's already made kind of uh, one choice and then gone a different direction uh, you know from Mando season two to now I, I look at Luke uh, you know going to get additional training uh, in the swamps of Dagobah and going, I'm out of here. 
making some big mistakes <laughs> and then coming back and finding a, a better way or, or the right way for him at that time. So there, there could be more storytelling here. And it, again, Lydia, it is the question of the time right now. Yeah, it's really, really fun. And uh, yeah, th- there's a part of me that thinks like, yeah, that would be a great story if someday Grogu is in a place to uh, to be able to choose both. But uh, right now I think Grogu's like a, He's like a little kid who can't decide his major. <laughs> I was going to say that, or he's like, if you, do you ever have that friend that, you know, maybe they're a little wild and then they get married and, and then that friend still tries to be wild and, and married. <laughs> You're like <laughs> the chain mail and the saber of life are in front of you. You must do one. <laughs> yeah. And I've known the opposite. I've had friends who are like yeah. marriage, kids, and then like uh, flash forward five years later and they're all in yeah. on a different lifestyle. Uh, that's a, that's right for them then. Yes. All right, great question, Lydia. We're going to move on to our questions from our patrons on Patreon. Uh, Brian Tiller says, Hello, gents. So I'm on my third rewatch of Rebels within about one year. Just finished the episode Jedi Knight and heading towards the finish. I got to thinking, why do I always cry at the end of this episode? Is it the wonderful character development of Kanan and his self-sacrifice he made for the group and bigger galaxy, the loss of another Jedi when we have so few we can lose? Or that I turn 50 this year and one starts to reflect on their own life, one's own accomplishments and impact on others. Whatever the reason, it happens every time. So my question to you is, what are your top three crying moments in Star Wars? Can be movies, animated shows, series like uh, Mando or Boba, what have you. My other two, in addition to Kanan's sacrifice, is the scene when Chewie learns of Leia's death in Rise of Skywalker and Ahsoka laying her saber at the helmets of the clones at the end of Clone Wars. Oh, and when Luke looks out into the sunsets just before vanishing at the end of Last Jedi. Okay, that's four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. So uh, this is great. Brian Tiller just did his full episode of Star Wars ranked uh, best <laughs> crying moments <laughs> and looking to us for, uh, for a few of our answers. Uh, so Ken, uh, where do you go with this? This is actually hard for me to answer. I've had I've had a few big ones. I'm clearly not afraid to cry. I, I've cried on on this show over great losses in uh, my life or the loss of friends. Um, I can be emotional, and, and over the years, I have not been super emotional with Star Wars in that outward way. It's just as a this great kind of joy and a great kind of inspiration. I talk often of that Admiral Radis moment because of what it represents, not just for in that moment, but re- what it represents to the Star Wars story, but to my fandom. Uh, so when Admiral Raddus jumps out of uh, hyperspace to declare that he's Admiral Raddus of the Rebel Alliance, I feel as though that's the story I grew up with. You know, like it, it's the it's the beginning of that in a way. You know, so I I am moved not just for what's on screen, but little seven year old Kenny playing with figures. You know, and mm-hmm. and 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 the rebels are taking on the Empire, and that's what that moment means for me. And um, I I. Did not cry during Last Jedi. You know, Luke's death I needed to process, and then later on. Um, but I can go back and get moved by things more. Um, a lot of moments in real life, I think I've cried more as a Star Wars fan, or you know, teary eyed, or sometimes just sobbing. Um, I, I recently the the under the helmet thing. The first time I watched it, and Jeremy uh, Bullock and that se- the segment on Jeremy Bullock and his and his widow sharing some of their stories traveling together, and Jeremy representing Star Wars for so many and uh, people during a time when it was just kind of regetting its, uh, you know, regaining its footing among the fandom in the mid '90s. I was moved mm-hmm. by that story. And started yeah. crying in that moment. So there's a lot of those moments. In film, though, I'll run through this kind of quickly here, Joseph. It is Rise of Skywalker. That's why I get sometimes a little defensive about that movie. Um, <laughs> if it didn't move you and you don't love it, I, that's that, that's totally fine. 
that movie moved me. It was, and it moved me in story and it moved me as a fan. And it was a culmination of years of story and years of fandom for me. So Chewie falling into his knees upon hearing about Leia's death is one of my moments. Like I was kind of holding Brian. I was kind of like, it's, you know, <laughs> but I've already cried some tears over Carrie Fisher herself leaving, you know, and I've, uh, I've processed that a little bit. And, and, but then all of a sudden, well, when it hits Chewie, God, that got me. And, um, uh, other moments I, I've talked about about the, it's not it's not a navy it's people that's made me cry there's that kind of thing but the, but going back uh, the Kylo Ren saying dad and and Han cutting him off and saying I know <laughs> gets me more than anything now and then the final hug between Ray Finn and Poe something I didn't necessarily specifically cry at in the theater because I was already crying or happy or everything or. Uh, bracing for discourse impact, which was also in the back <laughs> of my head. But now watching it at home on Disney Plus, that moment uh, has got me more than any other moment. So it changes, Brian. It changes. Yeah, it really changes uh, over over time. I think I, I did, you know, I some uh, you know emotional moments. Uh, probably as a as a young man, cry at specific moments of uh, watching the original trilogy. But a lot of it has been this sequel era and some similar moments to, to Brian, some similar moments uh, to you, Ken. Uh, I so echo <laughs> the experience you've had with the rise of Skywalker of like, it's, I, I really, really moved uh, by that film. Um, and I think a lot of times it's not necessarily moments of sadness. There, there's an element of sadness or loss sometimes at the moments that I cry at, but the moments I cry at Ken are relief um, yeah. where people get, what they truly need uh, from someone else or moments where a sort of the characters, but then me vicariously through them or us as Star Wars fans vicariously through them have been in this place of doubt or fear or cynicism. And there's this idea that just lifts you up and just goes, no, (laughs) you know, you weren't wrong to love this. You weren't wrong to get something from this. You were right to hang on to hope. Those are the moments that get me. Um, So uh, a a couple of them uh, for me, um, I I think in the, in the past as a kid, uh, I I think I've, uh, you know, been borderline teary eye in return of the Jedi when, when Luke catches the saber (laughs) as exciting as that is. Uh, Or when he says, I am a Jedi like my father before me, even with the head nod, which I, which I enjoy on uh, almost comic level, you know, my dad back there. Um, But because those are the moments of I, I have, uh, I have persisted. I have made it through this journey and I, I am becoming the person that I need and want to be. And that gets to me. Um, yeah. In The Last Jedi, the, the sunset moment is, it, it, I, I sometimes get teary at that, but it almost feels like a victory to me. Yeah, And yeah. the Luke moment that gets me is about this affirmation. It's the whole big speech uh, from Luke, or it's not a speech. It feels like it. It's one line, but it feels like a speech. Right. But, um, you know, the, the res- resistance is reborn today. The war is just beginning. And I will not be the last Jedi. The last Jedi gets me because it is that Luke's gone through, uh, you know, his, his moment of doubt and cynicism. And he's come back and he's like, no, we, the Jedi are needed. People do need to stand up against, you know, tyranny and, and yeah. fear and anger. Uh, and, and you're not going to stamp that out, Ben. It's going to continue as it should. Uh, we talk a lot about last Jedi being something that, that questions Star Wars to validate it. And I just feel this, huge rush of validation on on i will not be the last jedi to the to the point of it making me teary on some of my viewings yeah 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 there's something about that too uh yeah where uh where when people have those big breakthroughs or yeah yeah the same i think a little bit with the ray finn and poe is just um 
I can get wrapped up in, in their journeys and seeing it on screen. And it just always, that, that moment particularly reads so real as uh, three performers who have went through this Star Wars journey together, yeah. right? which could sometimes be uh, tumultuous. So yeah, I think there's a little bit of that of, 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 yeah, that person got it, which is going back to the raddest moment for me is that it isn't just him putting that flipper down saying to fight. It's them going and Mothma smiling and we can't hide anymore. And we have made this decision. And I'm like, yeah, because I know that's where, I know that's where it's going to go. And I know it was a brave moment and I know that's things I can do or not do in my life. And maybe I fail sometimes and maybe other times I succeed. So I, yeah, it, it, it's people having realizations. Yeah. Declaring that, you know, uh, I am here to fight the good fight, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, cheeks. Cheeks are also a huge problem for me when it comes to crying in Star Wars. Cause I have two cheek moments, uh, Grogu touching Din's cheek, but the fact that he, he took his helmet off for no reason other than to connect. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so powerful to, to give Grogu what, what he needed and what Din uh, maybe needed and, and making that change. And now we're going to get to see this great storytelling that's that's playing off of like, uh, you know, at, at what price uh, did he do that? Um, yeah, yeah. And Grogu touching his cheek and just that connection between two humans. So great. Uh, the I, I've kind of jokingly called uh, Han's cheek touch, uh, you know, the cheek touch that helped save the galaxy. Mm-hmm. But such a the, the moment in Force Awakens makes me teary because it's like even after you have done the worst thing imaginable i i know you're still a a good kid in there and i still love you no matter what it's mercy it's like you there's nothing you can do that will ever make me stop loving you in in a hand stroke from one of the most uh, you know emotionally repressed characters in star wars yeah (laughs) you know and then that that pays off with that beautiful cheek touch uh uh in rise of skywalker that is giving Ben exactly what he needs that's another one of those this is exactly what this character needs and it's a a beautiful relief uh and then the final one for me I I, I'm so glad you mentioned all those moments in Rise of Skywalker because all of those but the one that really gets me is uh Ray calling to the Jedi making this really hard choice pushing pushing through finding connection finding strength through connection but it's still her journey and all those voices saying uh, you know these supportive things that she needs to hear but Yoda's alone never have you been. Mm. Uh, it just devastates me because it's so easy to feel that, to, to mm-hmm. feel like Ray of like, I'm trying to carry this all by myself. I don't even know if I'm doing it right. I probably failed. I dumb of me to even try to reach out. And then mm-hmm. to have this kind voice go like, no, no, you've never been alone in this. Is uh, yeah. there, There's something about that moment, particularly in the theater the first time. Uh, again, I, you know, here I am. I, I, it was like a, my lip starts quivering. You know, Leia goes, uh, you know, Han comes back. I'm starting to cry. <laughs> and it just built, yeah. right? And you're sitting behind me going, yeah, my Ken's shoulders are shaking with tears. Um, <laughs> there's something about that moment that even I'm not, I wasn't analyzing Rise of Skywalker for themes in that moment, right? Um, but when Yoda says that, you're right. There's something about that. Luke, Luke's line uh, gets me too there. There's something about that that my heart connected it to Zori Bliss going, they win by, by making you think you're alone. There's more right? of us, Poe. There's more of us, Poe. I'm not thinking about that actively the first view, and I never do. I just think Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. And I think there was something powerful about that Yoda one where it's like your heart's going, hey, did you hear what they were saying in this movie? <laughs> And it, and it moves me, it even kind of moves me now discussing it. So I, I really, uh, I back, uh, I back your, uh, back your play there on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And th- th- that theme is so strong uh, throughout, but you know, uh, it, it hits, it hits my heart and it hits my brain. You know, it it is Yoda just saying like, Hey Ray, your deepest fear your entire life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's not true. You're good. 
Like, yeah. And, and we just, we all need that sometimes, right? We need those deep, deep fears. We need a, a loving voice <laughs> that comes from a ghost Muppet. Yeah. <laughs> to say your deepest fear, it's okay. It's okay. The, the worst thing you think about yourself, it's not true. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, we, we could talk all day. I, I don't want, it's funny. This is just turning into a, to a rise of Skywalker party, but I, I'm telling you, that's where my heart, I, I, I move more than any other movie by that one. And that's why I always, I call it a spiritual journey. I call, I call that one, my star Wars church. And I, there's, there's, there was one time Joseph recently I was watching it. And you know, you know, you and I will either watch for lines. Oh, I got to do, I got to research rise of Skywalker because we're, we're doing a ranked on it or I'm going to eat this sandwich. I, I guess I'll watch from star Wars. I was watching it. And, and, when that lander uh, with, with Finn and, and Jana and the crew, when it lands there and they're like, you know, block their sensors, uh, their speeders, they're not, they're, they're not in speeders, you know, whatever exact line is. <laughs> yeah. And the boat and the gate drops by and all the Orbacks come out. I started crying <laughs> at that shot of Finn and Jana, the Orbacks and BB-8 rolling onto his destiny. I, I'm sitting there eating a Subway sandwich, crying my eyes out over this. And it happened, hadn't happened necessarily before, and I don't know if it'll happen again, uh, other than being maybe even moving now discussing. So that's what I just love about Star Wars. Sometimes something you've seen 50 times, just your own spot and where you are in life or your, what you're feeling and everything, boom, it gets you. Yeah, it, it always hits you different. I think that's maybe our, our big message. It's a, there's always an opportunity to cry at something in Star Wars. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> that is a great question, Brian. Thank you uh, very much for sharing it. Uh, I think, Brian, your 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 insight about uh, being affected by the stories, but also how they, uh, you know, attach to your life and, and thinking through age and how you impacted others. All that stuff is so important. And thank you very much for, for sharing that with us, Brian. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know that Ken and I are at an age to be thinking those things too. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we're going to, we're going to end here with a little bit of a, a palate cleanser from the deep emotion to the fun. Uh, Stephen Campbell says, hello there for center. As with our real world, food and drinks are an important part for those in the star Wars galaxy between Dex's diner, Chalman's cantina or docking bay seven food and cargo. The possibilities for filling one's stomach with delicious sustances are endless. Ken and Joseph have made their admiration for cooking and cocktails respectively. Well-known if you were to follow John Favreau's footsteps, a la the movie chef and open a food truck somewhere in the star Wars galaxy, which planet or city would it be in? Additionally, uh, what would be the food and drinks on your Mendor? Andorian tip-yip, roasted porg, uh, Yoda's slop stew, <laughs> mm. uh, blue milk, fuzzy tauntaun. Thanks for taking my question and continue with the great content. May the force be with you. This is such a great question. Mm. Uh, you know what, Ken? I'll go first and let you uh, okay. let you close out here. Okay. Um, my mind went to two places on this. Uh, I I love... Um, uh, I, I'm not uh, I'm not super comfortable in the nature in nature because I just was not raised as like a as yeah. a camping outdoor person. But I'm really enjoying spending uh, more time uh, at the beach, uh, mm-hmm. spending more time in parks, and and really trying to connect with with nature more. So there's a part of me that would be like, what would it be like if I was able to live like some Star Wars characters do for like hundreds of years uh, to set up just like a little uh, a cocktail cart on Octo. <laughs> And just be staring out at nature and, you know, once every, you know, hundreds of years or whatever, a a Jedi happens to come through, uh, like the caretakers are there (laughs) with all their preservation. I'm just like, I'm still just like, I take, you know, some water and I desalinate it (laughs) (laughs) and I, you know, I brew it in these jars over time and uh, make these a special, yeah, here's my, uh, my, my Thalassirentini. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I have that. That's the sort of like, 
the the fantasy one, the the less realistic one. The realistic one is I would want to set up a a cocktail and light bite stand at the highest point of Coruscant possible because uh, mm. I love uh, in in big cities uh, going to places that have cocktails and and a view where you're looking out over the whole place. You're thinking about it. So if there's like a a cocktail stand that was like outside the galaxy's opera house, you know, yeah, uh, I would love uh, to be out there and have. Uh, I would have Jedi themed cocktails and yeah. they would probably use a lot of uh, standard ingredients, uh, but they would be named after different Jedi. Like, you know, there'd be like a Yarl poof drink uh, <laughs> that has uh, like an extremely long stem, yeah, stem like yeah. his neck. <laughs> yeah. All in the Yoda, the Yoda glass would be just this uh, little tiny thing. Uh, mm. That's like a tequila and lime juice or something. Uh, so it's green. Uh, and then I would, I, I, I don't know what light bites I'd serve, uh, maybe plants, but not drinker. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, more about the cocktails for that. So those are my answers. Right. I, I want to close out with your, your fun. Yeah. There, there's, um, you, you touch on something that I love. I love, um, I love a good food truck, but like a, a food cart or something like that, uh, in, in a, in a well place, but maybe weird when you stop and think about it. Um, or, or perfect. Like, uh, there, uh, one of the Kaiser hospitals I, I, I would go to, I go to a different one now but there was a bigger one in uh, woodland hills area in in, in the la valley uh, san fernando valley out here and like there was a coffee cart out there it makes total sense right well it's a hospital it needs coffee but it was also so out of context because it was like right outside the emergency room and what what that meant <laughs> is that at some point someone said you know what there's some people going through some stuff in there they're gonna want to get out and get some fresh air and get a cup of coffee because it's a long night and they need the comfort of a donut i'm setting up here and i'm gonna get my permits and, and get it and whatever. And I just, I always was obsessed with that one a little bit. Um, you're making me think of, uh, again, it makes perfect sense. It's food and beverage for a, a, a convention, but we were walking around celebration Chicago mm. and just going, let's go straight to the hot dog cart and the beer cart. Like, yeah, I love those ones there. So in that spirit, I guess you could, you could do where, where it's like a place that's maybe a little serious, but it, people need snacks. And I'm assuming a food truck in the Star Wars galaxy means it probably can travel through space, right? It's a oh, little, yeah. you think, I was like if the Razor Crest opened up and to, to sell uh, Yip Tip. Uh, I, I would go to Yavin 4 outside the uh, temple there, the Masasi temple where the rebels are meeting. Like, uh, did you guys all just get in a, uh, did someone just yell, what is she proposing? <laughs> I've got, I've got a snack here for you to, to blow off some steam. I, I think I would propose that. But my actual answer, my real answer, I was trying to think, where's a place where there's a, like a vibrant, still fun kind of like little people people are having some fun doing quote normal things i'd take my food truck to the colossus oh yeah and i see if uh you know uh, doza would let me do it i don't know get some permission to see if aunt v is, is is okay with me setting up there um but you know what i mean just setting just setting up out there i would serve Maybe it's because I worked in malls for so many years, and I remember when the the ice cream dots came up, the ice cream of the future. <laughs> I would bring the taste of uh, some sort of ice cream substance to those on the Colossus at a at a at a, at a gourmet uh, handmade uh, space ice cream truck. Oh, this is absolutely amazing! I, I love that your your philosophy of bring it to a place where people need a little something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to to pick them up, uh, to be a part of community like Colossus. These are like great approaches, but I love the focus on ice cream because now, Ken, I'm picturing like every ship in Star Wars and asking like, which is the funniest if it like it pops out of hyperspace and then the ice cream song plays? Yeah, 
Yeah. Like a space ice cream talk, like Dash Rendar's Outrider pops in and then you hear the ice cream song. <laughs> I would love it. I would love it. It would be great. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for all these uh, great questions. Uh, from the deep to the fun, that is Star Wars. So those are our questions, Ken. That is our questions. That's where we are. What a fun, uh, wild, and uh, deep dive through the world of Star Wars. We do this every week. We are on Twitter at Force Center Pod. We are also on Instagram and YouTube as well. Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. Podcast is available on Acast, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and a lot more. Just search and find us there at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center is where you can su- uh, support us by merch. If you want to support us directly, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash four center. You can find me at Cadnapsock or go to Cadnapsock.com for more information. I'm still highlighting uh, St. Baldrick's uh, because they've got a big event coming up on March 4th that my friend Jeff Saunders is uh, involved in. Uh, Jeff and uh, the fine folks at St. Baldrick's Foundation are shaving their hair to help cure childhood cancers and get research for it. There's a big event, actually, excuse me, on March 5th. Uh, but you can go to stbaldrick's.com. Or you can get more information on that organization, what they do, and uh, choose to support if you'd like to. Uh, Joseph, uh, what about you? Yeah, you can find me Twitter, Instagram, TikTok is at Joseph Scrimshaw. I will probably post lots of videos of my <laughs> long process of opening the Razor Crest. So if you're interested, you can find me on social media. You can also check out all sorts of stuff I've done and will continue to do on my website, josephscrimshaw.com. Uh, this week, I would like to continue to highlight uh, the group Illuminative. I think as we continue to have these very valuable discussions of of the, the Star Wars characters of Tuscans, but how they relate to uh, the stories of real life people, I think it's really important that we uh spend some time really uh listening to the the real life people uh that the tuscans are um you know connected to in the storytelling so if you want to check out this uh, group here is what illuminative says about themselves how they describe the group created and led by native peoples illuminative is a new non-profit initiative designed to increase the visibility of and challenge the negative narrative about native nations and peoples in american society A few other projects include things like uh, creating opportunities for Native creators in TV and film, ending the use of Native culture as mascots in sports, and uh, Native storytelling projects, all sorts of different great stuff. If you are interested to learn more or possibly donate, you can go to Illuminatives.org. Great stuff indeed. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for supporting. And thank you all for uh, helping spreading the word and uh, saying how uh, you, you love our content. It's not lost on us in this uh, in this world. We don't we do not do this show for uh, praise and everything. We do this to just kind of uh, share our love for Star Wars. And we're so happy to have you out there on board and uh, on the uh, space cruiser to the Colossus to sell ice cream with us there. So uh, thank you all. Thank you for support. And we'll see you next time. This was Force Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.